Welcome to Cleveland's newest and Cleveland's best sports podcast. This is Two Guys in a Mic with your hosts Ron Pierce and Sean Davis. Let's go. All right, welcome to another edition of Two Guys in a Mic. Uh, one of your hosts, Big Sean. Welcome, everybody. I am uh, RP. It's great to be with you guys again. Sean, it's great to see you. Yes, great it is. Always good to see you. Uh, we got a few things. Got a few things to talk about um, in the world of Cleveland sports and sports in general. Um, free agency period was well, not wrapped up because you know you can always still sign players, but the the uh, bulk of it, you know, the main guys have been signed, and the Browns made a few moves um, that we actually received praise for. Um, and most recently, you know, the big signing of Davion Clowney. So we want to go ahead and, and talk about that. Um, so the biggest free agent moves were uh, Troy Hill. Um, what's the safety's name? John. Uh, John Johnson. Yeah, John Johnson, the third. Um, to Davion. Are you now? Let me ask you something real quick. Are you? <clears throat> you said these are the biggest moves. Now, are you putting these in a in a in a specific order, or are you just? Uh, lumping them into the biggest just sorry. lumping them too like as far as okay. uh, free agency goes for the team this just those are those were the most um significant moves also um to me reshining um Richard Higgins was also uh a big move okay. as well so okay. let's let's go ahead and talk about those moves and um and how they think they will impact the Browns on the upcoming season all right so um for me for me, I agree with uh, that grouping of, of, of gentlemen that you just put together as <clears throat> the biggest uh, signing. I think you left out one. No, you mentioned him first. You mentioned Troy Hill first. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think the, and the improvement of our defensive backfield uh, was imperative. I don't, I don't think that there were – there were a number of glaring – situations on our defense there were definitely a, a number of glaring drives and games in our on our defense most of them stemmed from the uh cornerbacks and the takes most of them did right um <clears throat> so for the browns to go out and address this early and make it clear uh, i think we talked about this uh in one of our last shows to, to stop trying to be the smartest guy in the room and just do what, what's necessary has been uh, a tremendous change in how I think all of us view the Cleveland Browns, except for the, the, the guys that are not going to believe in the Browns anyway. There's a bunch of people that right. you know, giggle and laugh and clown and point and ha-ha at everything we do because they feel like it's just going to implode anyway. But for us, the people who have been here and seen this stuff, for a long time, we can see the difference in how they're moving and signing right out the gate, a guy like John Johnson, who is regarded in the NFL as one of the better free safeties in the league. It it, it let all of us know it took how much pressure did that take off for of you, dog? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, when you heard that, you were like, all right, at least, at least I don't have to worry about them attempting to reach for somebody else and then ended up having to resign Zendaya type of right. thing. And you know what and I mean? Not only that, 
that moves, you know, adds depth to the safety position. So now you Absolutely. have, because I think, I guess the way that uh, Joe Woods runs his defense, he likes on a three safety set. Um, I don't think guys have a distinct position as far as free safety or strong safety. I think they just want safeties. So when you look at it and from that aspect, you know, you got Ronnie Harrison, um, who I think is a great fit with the Browns. Yep. Um, you have Grant Deltic coming off injury. If he's anything um, as projected, close. He's going to be solid. Close. Yeah. Um, and now you got uh, John Johnson the third, and now and and you got Shoulder Redwine. Is Redwine great? No, but Redwine, in his defense, improved throughout the season. When he was forced into play, we all hated it at first. Um, but he was forced in by necessity due to injury and things like that. Wasn't playing well, but you saw him as the season progressed. Um, he got a little bit more comfortable and started making some plays. But yeah, now I, he's not thrust into the forefront. You know, he's more of a death guy, you know, still special team. Absolutely. But if he has to step in, you know, he has that experience now, that game, that game uh game experience where okay, he shouldn't look like a deer in headlights if he's forced in the, you know, starting duty or whatnot. Right. So I think that that move of getting uh, Johnson was very, very, very important, and it was came. It was relatively cheap at that. And uh, uh, considering, man, it was super cheap actually. When yeah, like you say, considering, you know what safeties, really good safeties, could go for, especially a guy who is semi-regarded as one of the better safeties in the game. Yeah, and so he took less money to come here too. He did. He turned down a number of offers to be here. So. I mean, that says something. I don't know if that says more about uh, the coaching staff. I don't know if that says more about where the Browns are, per se. But it's something about what the Browns have here, which is something that is, again, a, a complete 180 from where we've been over the last 20 years. Most people are like, I don't to go to Cleveland to, to, for, I don't give a damn what I'm trying to do. I ain't trying to go right. to Cleveland. I think it's a combination of both. Like, he wants to win. He's been in the league for a little while now. He wants to go to a winner. And I think the Browns have a team. It's not just a bunch of collection of guys. I remember hearing in the past where the Browns locker room was very cliquish. You know, you had different actions. And I think you can tell about how the guys, you know, interact with each other. But now, you know, it's more of a team, more of a family type thing. And guys want to be a part of that. You want to go somewhere where you're going to be embraced, where you're going to be comfortable. And, uh, and I think that's 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 what we have. Um, just looking at the respect that you know the Browns have for like Chubb, you know, when he went down, the concern, you know, you can tell that guys genuinely care for each other and they root for each other. Like you never heard the offense all year long. Uh this the defense. They had every right to dog the defense. You know, we out here putting up 35, 38 points, and you guys can't even, you know, can't hold it down. But you never you never heard any shots taken, any subliminal. Shots or anything uh, no, like that that you may no hear on other things, you know. It was no sneak dissing, man. And that's no sneak dissing. And that's a uh that's a testament again to the type of locker room that uh you know the coaches, especially and more specifically the head coach, and then we're talking about the front office. I think it all and we we continue to, to go over this and, and like hash over this, it, it starts at the top. I mean, I, I think that uh, the Haslam's have allowed Andrew Berry to just run things. 
Yeah, and well, we haven't some... seen Jimmy Haslam, and that's I what I'm saying, bro. Actually, we haven't. Saying, we bro. saw him, we saw him briefly when the Browns beat Pittsburgh. You know, he was in the on the field, you know, with the team and stuff like that. But we haven't. You know, normally he have an impromptu press conference or something like that. We haven't heard a peep out of that dude, and and I think he's finally learned. Like, hey, I got, I finally got the right guys in place. Yeah. Hopefully, now things things can take a turn. So I want to say everything tentatively. I'm trying to stay positive, but and let's not um, and let's not leave out uh, Paul Di Podesto. Yeah, because Paul Paul just took uh, basically a leave of absence when um when they hired uh uh what was his name uh, the damn Kitchen. coach we had uh the year before right um, what's his name uh Kitchen Freddie. You know, he just took a leave of absence. And um, uh, with uh, Buddy Boy, who's up in Detroit now, um, he just, he was like, no, nah, that's not my flavor. That's not what I want. That's not who I want. So y'all go ahead and y'all do your thing. I ain't quitting, but I'm not going to be nowhere near uh, Berea. As, as a matter of fact, I'm going to take my ass to California <laughs> right. and not be any part of this. So him being able to say, okay, now we'll start back where I wanted to start at. Um, we want an Andrew Barry type of type of leadership, you know, a, a an analytics guy. Also, we want a Kevin Stefanski, who I wanted to hire last year. Like, you know what I mean? Like he had it in the back. And bringing in Kevin Stefanski, giving that stability, and now you see the locker room a certain kind of way. I know people always try to say OBJ and, and you know, it's a, it's a cancer, blah, 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 blah. But the new guys coming in, Jake Conklin was like, yo, I almost never been in a locker room like this before. And he specifically pointed out OBJ. So to see a guy like, uh, John Johnson turned down bigger money, bigger paydays to be a part of this. It is very telling about what's happening in that locker room. Right. And trust me, if OBJ was a cancer, the Browns would have traded him already. He would listen. Did you? I don't know if you saw this. You may not have, but I saw first I saw Kevin Stefanski say it. Then I saw because he, he did an interview by himself like on a Tuesday, random Tuesday. It came up on my phone and then he was talking about OBJ. I can't wait to get that guy and you know, blah, blah, blah. But this was right after he talked about potentially having Baker open up the offense a little bit more or opening up the offense with Baker a little bit more. Uh -huh. It's actually the, the better way to say that. <clears throat> and then he, after that, he mentioned having OBJ back and blah, 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 as he was talking about opening up the offense. Like two days later, Andrew Barry does a thing and the bulk of the beginning of what he talked about was OBJ and getting him back and having him back. Now, we all know business. OBJ makes a lot of money. Once it starts adding going forward, he makes a lot of money. But they could have easily just left that alone and not said anything about it. They don't have to promote or say anything. For people to consistently bang on this dude, I think it's 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 
it's crazy. OBJ is a is an integral part of what we do. Jarvis is, is an integral part of what we do. And they are big, big, big locker room guys. So is Baker. So yeah. is Miles. Like people come here and they love Miles. Yeah, like, for whatever reason, we've we've touched on this before. Cleveland fans have an issue with kind of what outspoken players or what are perceived as prima donnas. But it's funny because Jarvis is kind of the same way. He just does it differently. And he doesn't get and, hurt. That's the other part yeah, of it. Right. Jarvis and we, we love, and the fans absolutely love Jarvis Landry. Yep. So, but, you know, it is what it is. Now, Troy Hill. Yep, um, let's move on. Troy, Troy Hill was a guy I was familiar with when we did sign-ups. I remember um, watching a couple of Rams games, but he wasn't doing nothing but making plays. Um, he's a ball hawk, all, always around the ball. Um, hasn't always started in his career, but I think the last few years he was, and he's just a playmaker. Um, and you're coming from a good defense. Both those guys are coming from an excellent defense, you know, in no. L.A. Uh, now And now you're adding depth, much-needed depth, um, and experience to that secondary. And he's still young. Uh, well, fairly young. He's been in the league for a little while, though. He ain't, he ain't Terrence Mitchell old. Who? He's not Terrence Mitchell old. Who? Um, Who you talking about? I'm talking about Troy Hill. You know, he's oh, still Troy. fairly he's still fairly young. So I mean, now you've got an insurance policy. Just in case Greedy don't, you know, pan out, because the book is still out on him. You got a certified vet on the other yep. side of the award. Absolutely. Um, like who else? What other corners do we have? Him. Uh, Denzel. We have Denzel Kevin Johnson. Kevin Johnson was a was a free, a free he was agent. A one year. He was a so one, one year. year. Okay. So here's here's my take on Trey. And I, everything you said was spot on. But apparently they believe in these guys because they're the only two people. Uh, the two people being uh, John Johnson and Troy Hill. They're one of the only ones that got multiple year contracts right so they must believe in these guys and they must i think andrew barry's protecting himself because i mean hell the the john johnson was a bargain but short hill was a bargain too four years 20 24 million and he can start and also be a slot guy right and you don't you don't really miss anything. You don't lose anything with him at either spot. And you might actually gain something if greedy can be greedy like we thought we had. You know, back when he was in LSU, we get that kid with uh, Troy in the slot and the familiarity that Johnson has with Hill. Right, that's incredible too. Like they already Very know important. each other, they know how to play with each other. So, again, it's like a it's like a meshing. You know, the Browns are doing a great thing safety wise, like you say. We have Johnson, we have uh, Harrison, and you got Grant Delpit. That's just that's great depth. Depending on what set is on the field, I think that's going to be great either way. Johnson played both safeties before he played strong, and then they changed them. To, to free right. within the last couple of years and his timing, uh, his uh, solid freaking, he's a solid active tackler. Uh, he's all over the ball. He's covered uh, George Kittle. 
I, we talked about this before. We need somebody to cover those. If you're if you're going to deep in the playoffs and you're going to the Super Bowl, you're going to see a George Kittle. You're going to see a Travis Kelce. You're going to see these big name, big time tight ends. So you're going to need to be able to cover them. And I think we, we've done that. I think Troy Hill can do that when he's in the slot, depending on and he's experienced. So, you know, some of those rubs and some of those other things. Remember how we talked about when guys, when we get depleted to a certain point, now you have guys that aren't that experienced IQ-wise playing in positions that they weren't meant to play in. Right. So now we're giving ourselves not just depth, but we're giving <clears throat> ourselves depth and experience to kind of avoid some of those things. So adding Troy Hill, gave us exactly that depth and experience. Greedy Williams can learn from him. So can uh, the warden. And I think I think the defensive backfield, I'm not going to say we're set, because don't be surprised if, if uh, and we'll get to this in a little bit when we talk about the draft, don't be surprised if we pick up a cornerback with that with that particular. Yeah. But we'll get into that. I'll pick it up in a little bit. Um, so I'm, let, me, let me take the lead on this next one. I'm going to be honest okay. with you. I think the, uh, the pickup of Malik Jackson was huge. Now, is Malik Jackson great? No. But Malik Jackson is a run stopper. He's known as a run stopper. So they right. brought him in because of that. One of our bigger problems was some of, some of our biggest issues were runs up the middle uh, last year. Not this, I don't know, if, and, and you tell me if you agree with me or, or if you disagree with me or if I don't know if it was schematic or and I don't know if it was because of the personnel. I think it was a little bit of both, me personally. Because um, I, I felt like Sheldon played good all year. Um, you know, shout out to, you know, S. Rich. You know, uh, I, I, I wished he was going to still be here, but I think they wanted. I think the Browns wanted to restructure his deal, right? And he didn't want. And he didn't want. To. Didn't want it. Yeah. So I think that's how that how that went down. But uh, nothing but love for that guy. But I, I think he had a good season. My my thing is, I still think schematically, some of these guys that we had or have just didn't fit what Joe Woods was trying to do. Of course, he had a, he had a ragtag bunch of guys, um, especially like in the secondary. Um, Elite Jackson is solid, um, and I think too getting him. And remember, we signed Andrew Billings last year, but he opted out. Just didn't play. Right, right. And I think that's what made Sheldon Richardson expendable. Even though I don't like the move of cutting him in because he had a great season. He's part of the fabric in that locker room. Right. Um, so you're going to definitely miss having his presence there. But the Browns thinking, and at the end of the day, it's the business still. Um, I think they're just looking at, at the at the money figure. They was like, you know what? Um, we picked up a couple of guys. Plus, we got Jordan Elliott, who we drafted. Um, and I forgot know, about that. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's like, you know what? You know, we can bring them back at a lower price fine. If not, um, you know. But we have to part ways. And, and, they still, and they still might get him back because guess what? Uh, at this particular point, like we're at a spot in free agency where nobody, there's not going to be a defensive tackle signed for 
twelve million dollars, bro. No, nobody's nobody's signing a guy for twelve million dollars at this point in the season. It's just right. I mean at this point in in the off season rather it's just not happening. And I think the Browns are pretty confident in that, so they might be able to circle back. Andrew, listen, man, Andrew Berry is a smart dude. He, he he's he's impressing me right now. And now I know this is only his first year and a half, so we still got to see guys get on the field and, and play and contribute like they did last year. And if so, I'm like, man, this dude is this dude is is, is the truth. So we still may end up with Sheldon, but we don't know. But having having adding Malik and then adding Andrew because he didn't play last year, uh, I think we'll be a better team against the run. And and we'll get to this in a second. I, I think that defensive line is just a, going to be a little bit better uh, versus uh, the run. So I, I had Malik Jackson in there, and I also had Anthony Walker. Uh, he doesn't cover well. He reminds me a lot of uh, Dequell. Okay. A guy who didn't cover well, but a guy who made a lot of tackles, a, a right. heady guy, a smart guy. Right. I know that when we picked him up, uh, I forget the safety's name that played for Indy, but uh, he was like, wow, man, they got a, they got a, they got a football player over there. Like they, the, 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 the I thing about. That. I remember him how, saying that. Oh, I said, yeah. I remember him saying that. Yeah, yeah they, they was like, man, the thing about this kid is he's, and he's young. He's only 25. But they said the thing about him is he's such a, a, a heady uh, IQ guy. He, he's an instinctive uh, football player and he plays. He, he's like, a, he's like a, a locker room guy and he's a, a field general when he's on the field. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, and that's a lot like Dequell was. Dequell was a field general. He was a great locker room guy. He was a great glue guy. But I think the difference between where Dequell was, Dequell didn't have much behind him. And he didn't have much in front of him at times either. Now, this kid, uh, Andrew Andrew, uh, Walker, has guys in front of him and guys behind him to protect what he doesn't do well. And because of the way that Joe Woods runs his defense, it's all packages. Like, like you were saying earlier, it's it's going to be a lot of packages. It's going to be a lot of times that dude ain't even going to be on the field. But again, the Browns are addressing their issues. They're addressing their issues. They're getting cornerbacks that can cover. They're getting uh, DBs that can cover and tackle. Then they're turn around and get linemen that can tackle and play the run well. And they're getting linebackers that can read. And Listen, man, this is about to be the most intelligent football we've probably seen since the 80s, bro. Right. This is I agree. Bro. I like the pickup of, uh, of Anthony Walker. I mean, very solid guy. Once again, you know, it adds some depth because uh, it looks like, um, you know, B.J. Goodson isn't coming back. Um, right. we signed, you know, we re-signed Malcolm Smith, uh, which is cool. I think it was a good like signing. Too. You really like that signing. Like, you you, yeah. you were like, yeah, that was cool. Because he played solid. He was hurt, you know, a little bit during the season. Is that what it was? Cause I, yeah. Because I wasn't that impressed, bro. But I, you know what? I wasn't mad that they re-signed him. 
I just was like, damn, you resign him, why you ain't resign BJ? And that was my only, that was like my only, like, well, because because for one thing, I think that, and it's going to be interesting to see how this preseason everything plays out. I think the Browns are trying to get through to Mac Wilson. Mac Wilson is supposed to be that middle linebacker. You think they're trying to do what, bro? Get get uh, Mac Wilson, get through to him to oh. unlock his foot because he's supposed oh, to be that middle linebacker. Okay. He's supposed to be that guy based on his just his talent level, but he is – what's the best way I can describe him? I don't know how to describe him, man, because he gets there. He, he, says, gets, he gets to where he needs to be. He doesn't finish. You're absolutely correct. Him uh, him, and uh, Sione Takitaki are the exact same in how they – like, if I had to describe them, they're the exact same. I think Takitaki came with less fanfare. Right. But his, you can see his ability. He can read the field. He's, he tends to be around the ball. The problem is his technique is awful. And I think that's what's wrong with Mac Wilson. And that's probably why Wilson fell to the fifth round because wasn't he the SEC defensive player of the year? Yeah. Or something, yeah. something like that? Or so he had yeah. some type of high accolades. Because he, always, he was always around the ball. But again, when you play against a team, you have to remember this. When you're a linebacker for Alabama, you basically are Trent yeah. Richardson. Yeah. You you playing behind a whole bunch of guys because you know who really makes the noise on uh, Alabama's defense when they get to the NFL? That damn defensive line. All those defensive linemen, those defensive ends are the ones who are the guys in the league. Right. So you're playing behind those guys. They're getting pressure. Guys are scared. You're playing third-tier quarterbacks in terms – just in terms of the talent, not necessarily in right. terms of who you're playing uh, right. school-wise. you playing third-tier – that dude was a, uh, the 600th best player in college. Y'all got the first 100 on Alabama squad. So – this dude just trying to get the ball out of his hand. Like, it's an unfair uh, uh, situation sometimes as to what happens to guys when they leave schools like Ohio State. When they leave schools like Alabama, people are like, oh, you played at Ohio State, you know how to play. Then you get to the league and you don't really know how to play. And that happens in, in every sport. That ain't just in football. But right. what I'm saying is a guy like Mike Wilson came to the league with this, you know, elite thought process. Well, we had this elite thought process about him. We thought he was going to be elite. And we see the, the, the good speed. We see the good uh, thought process. We just don't see the good follow through. Because he'll get there. He'll meet a guy four yards behind the line and then miss the tackle. That's technique. But right. that's fundamentals. So you add, like you say, you add a guy like Andrew uh, uh, Walker. That puts some pressure on that kid. You know what I mean? Now you're like, uh oh, we got a guy who can make this tackle. Can you make this tackle? Or maybe right. in this year that Walker is here, he can get inside of his head because now you got a mentor type of thing. 
You never know. Yeah. And that's why I say uh, Andrew Andrew uh, Barry, I believe, is really trying to work from, from a lot of different angles. He's, he's analytical in more than one way. Like, he's very <laughs> – this dude is savvy, and I can see him working. Right Super now. savvy, like you know, he he's not going to overpay. He's not going to panic. Um, he's like, okay, this is what we offer. If you don't like it, fine, we can go elsewhere. Um, like with the, you know, we can move on to the uh, Davion Clowney deal. Um, yeah. In fact, it was what eight million and ten million with incentives, and yeah. that's fine. You know, I think Clowney was trying to hold out, you know, for a lot more. Um, for whatever reason, I think that's why it took him so long to sign, you know, with the team. He thought he could get more in the market. But, um, you know, bringing him in at that price on a prove-it deal, if he doesn't pan out, you know, you didn't kill the salary cap, um, you know, you, and you can move on from it. So, because at first I wasn't all that excited. I wasn't excited about J.J. White or Tommy, you know, coming here. Um, but with the fact, but, but how they did it, how they structured that deal, it was like, okay, let's see what you have. Like, are you motivated? Can the Browns coaching staff get that out of Clowney? Because right now, when you really think about it and look at Clowney's career, Clowney is still living off one play he made in college in a bowl game. Yeah. That play Since he's been in the NFL, he's been okay at times. But nothing that's really, like, jumped out. And I know he's had some injuries and things like that, too. He had the one year where he had 18 and a half sacks uh, when he when he was actually healthy. No, but, like, we look at his stats. He had 18 and a half in two years. But he did, he hasn't had he hasn't had double-digit sacks um, in his NFL career. He had nine one year, nine and a half on the other one. So, like, within a two-year span, he had 18 and a half. That's what I'm saying. Like, he hasn't done anything that's really jumped out. And he was playing, obviously, J.J. Watt. Well, that's the problem, is that he can't – You for you to be that guy looking for that kind of money, you have to be a guy that can create that by yourself. You can't be a guy looking for 13 you know, $14, 15000000 million a year and you need another dude on the other side in order for you to get what you're going to get. Like, you cannot be that guy. Right. But that seems to be where he's been uh, for the majority of of uh, of his career. Is he's always, you know, that guy who can't or doesn't or won't because he feels like, oh, I should be, I should be paid more. Man, listen. Don't you listen? I'll tell you this. Don't you think you can get paid more? Don't you think you should be yeah, paid? Of course, we all do. But at the end of the year, or the end of the year, end of the day, it's about results. Like, what's what do your what did your results uh, provide? What did what did your results say? So when you got like you say. 18 and a half sacks over two years, man. Miles Garrett got 30, almost 30 sacks in those in that same time frame. Yeah, and, and that's not bad. No, it's not um, bad. But, but it's but it's just for, that for, for you to be looking for 17 million dollars 
or $15 million every time you get signed. Right. And that's why I feel like I feel about uh, Sheldon getting released. I think that, you know, nobody's paying that kind of money for these kind of guys, not at this particular moment. Right. Now, if, if we get if we get the same production that Olivier Vernon gave us from Clowney, I'm fine. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. And that's and I think I said that, uh, you know, on the Instagram page, I said, listen, I don't think the Browns are bringing him in here to be the Jadavian Clowney that can get, you know, 20, 20 sacks. I don't think that's what we're bringing him in here for. I think, first of all, he's a pretty solid, uh, he's pretty solid against the run. So I think that helps. But I know he can be a problem on the edge. He he knocks down actually he knocks down balls pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that could be you know another way. Even though you're not getting to the quarterback per se, you're still getting to the quarterback with your hands up. The dude, the dude's IQ when he wants to play, when his motor is running, and he wants to play, the talent is there. Yeah, the and, 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 there. and that you speak about his motor. That's the thing that worried him about me. Were <laughs> that's the thing about him that worried me when he came out of college. Cause I saw too many plays that he was just taking off. Now does everybody go hundred miles an hour every play? No, but there were times where, especially his senior year when he was trying not to get hurt. Right. Where he really, he just was not um, playing hard at all. And that's the thing where um, I know you want to protect your, your, your interest and, you know, your money and things like that. But ballers that are real ballers, like they're going hard, period. It's like, you know what? The money's going to come. That's fine. But I owe this to my teammates to go out here and play hard and try to win these games. And, and that came off as kind of suffrage to me when he, you know, he pretty much just dogged it his senior year. He was like, then he didn't even make the bowl game. He didn't play in a bowl game. And, you know, he was just kind of like, you know, I'm not about to mess up my money, you know. And, 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 and tell me this, though, bro. Do you think – do you think he played the rest of his career or or the bulk of his career that way? Mm-hmm. Because when you when you have that mentality and then you do get paid, it's like, well, what else do I have to what else do I have to earn? It's, it's, it's one of those things, similar to uh similar to Fournette. Fournette did the same thing. You know, his senior year, he or I think I don't know if he came out of whatever his last year in college was, kind of dogged it, didn't play in a bowl game. Yeah. He kind of went through the motions. I mean, he was okay at Jacksonville. He had some decent numbers, but not what everybody projected him to be. And then when he got to Tampa, and you got Tom Brady, you know, on your back, then you start seeing his true potential. Now you now you're showing the flashes that we knew you always had. Right. So maybe now, because we know Clowney has the talent, that's undeniable. Um, so now maybe on this team, maybe Stefanski and some of the other guys can get you know, to motivate him and get that that uh that extra juice out of him that we know he has. And that's what I'm hoping, bro. And 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 this is what I've continued to try to explain to people that I think, I think, and this is just me talking. All I got is a podcast. I ain't on ESPN, apparently they're experts. Um, even though they get it wrong all the damn time. They get it wrong all the time. But I I, I think that's it 
Like, I, I think they brought him in here with the thought process of, listen, bro, all we need you to do is play football. Right. Just play football. You know, what you've done since you were, you know, seven, eight years old. You know, Sean and I have played, I don't know, countless, countless numbers of uh, football games in the field over and on Granada and Warrensville. We probably can't even, it's an exponential number of games that we've played. So the most fun of which when we used to play blood ball. And then, when it, oh, when yeah, it was oh, money, when it was just a mess. Down a man, whatever you oh, want to man. man. Blood but ball used to be fun as hell. Those, if we, if Sean and I have played an exponential amount of games, imagine a kid that has made it to the NFL. Imagine how many games that dude has played. So, Clowney, and Clowney is far superior to anything Sean and I have ever put on any football field ever, ever. So he can be this good, but the Browns aren't, I don't think the Browns are asking him to do all of that. Right. I think the Browns, of course, the, the Texans were asking for that because we drafted you in the first round. We need you okay. to show up. We Were he you. number one overall? Well, in the first round. I don't, was he first overall? He might have been. So. He might have been, but I don't, I, don't know for sure. I don't know for sure. But I know he was drafted in the first round. So for them, uh, they feel like, yo, we need you to be a monster. The problem was he only played four games that year in his rookie season. So he's and, and you know he's never been what they thought, what they wanted, what they needed. Not exactly. Not exactly. Because he was a monster, or he appeared to be a monster in college. And yes, then he got uh, to the league, and he was just kind of, kind of good. Right. Uh, Jadavion was number one overall in 2014. Well, it's been that long. 2014. Six years. Seven years. And let's look at his his sack totals. So his they're not impressive, bro. Like his rookie year, I didn't know he was hurt his rookie year. Yeah, yeah. He only played four games for you. Yeah, you, you said that. You said that. Um, and technically, I see. Okay, I see where some of the problems may have come in. They had moved him kind of to like linebacker, kind of like all over the place. So I don't see him as that because I hate when they do that. I hate when they take a guy and it's like, you know what? He played defensive line his whole always, career, but we're going to stand him up in our defense. The smartest guy in the room, uh, shit. You do that to me, you do that shit with somebody who you pick in second and third round. You don't do that with first round guys. Right. First round so, guys just playing where they at. Right. So, like, his second year, he had four and a half sacks, then six. Then he had 9.5, well, nine and a half, then another nine. And then Seattle, three. And then last year, he didn't play a snap. Oh, no, he played – no, I'll take that back. He played a little bit, but not much. But didn't have, um, you know, any stats at all. Cleveland. So, we should – look, so we should get a fresh today. <laughs> right. So in his career, he's had 32 sacks in his in his career. In seven freaking years, man. 
in seven years. So we'll see. You know, we'll see what happens. Um, um, anyway, what are other notable signings? Of course, we've, we've talked about Hollywood um, at nauseum, you know, before. So glad to have him back. I think this will be his last year with the Browns. Um, we're going to see. We're going to see because you don't know what we're going to do with uh, – you still don't know what we're going to do with, with either Jarvis or OBJ. One of those guys, you know what? I think they're going to try to reach I'm, 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 I'm glad you brought that up. I don't see OBJ being here for the rest of his career, but Jarvis is a guy um, because he makes what 15 million in that range, 15, 16, but he's getting older. Like Jarvis been in the league for about what, eight years, seven, eight years. They've both been in the league the same amount of time. Yeah. So eventually, you know, you're not going to be able to command those dollars of the receiver as you get older. If I was the Browns, and you had to pick one. I'm like, okay, Jarvis is a guy that is the epitome of Cleveland. One of those guys have to be a career brown. I was like, okay, Jarvis, you know, give him a deal. It's like, here, we want you here and just lock him up, yeah. you know, for 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 like the long haul to make sure that he may not retire around. Just make sure that he's here. We need we need to get to the point now where we have guys that not are Adam Cor- guys. part of the team. We talked about that. Yep, man. Like when I go back and watch, I go back and watch old Browns games. You know, since they come back in two thousand, right? And just the number of guys that have been through here, that were here one or two years, maybe three, and then gone. Nobody has established roots. If you think about it, hey, you know, like 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 when they do alumni days at the stadium, you have old guys from you know the past come back. There's really nobody from this era that was here long enough to really establish Russell, except for, you know, Joe Thomas, Josh Cribbs. Listen, and if you were here long enough to establish some roots, man, you were on some of the worst teams that ever existed. Yeah. Like, 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 tie that in with themselves. Like, who from, from the current era? Would, would come back, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know how you that's what I mean. Come back and like, like, who's been here? Like you've been on awful freaking teams. So a lot of that is personal too. Like if I if I was on a team that lost 16 games and then I went to a team that went to the playoffs, like I for instance, guess who will probably never associate himself with the Browns? Alex Mack. He hated right. Damn near every one of the five years he was here. It was one of the best centers in football at all. One of the best centers that's probably ever come through football. One of the, I mean, he up there with, I know people are going to get mad that I say this, but this, this kid is up there with like Mike Webster and shit. Right. He's, he's really that good. Alex, Alex Mack was that good. It was a great pick by the Browns. We didn't think it, it wasn't a sexy pick. But it was a great pick. The problem was we couldn't figure out a quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> if we could have gave him a quarterback to hike to, he would have been right. perfect. Then he just went casually, went down to Atlanta, had a quarterback behind him, or at least a solid quarterback, and went to the Super Bowl within two years of leaving here. Mitchell Schwartz is another one. Yeah. So he, so he's, he's, he's going to associate himself with being an Atlanta 
a Falcon before he associates himself with being a damn Brown. Right. Understandably, too. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. We need to start having that foundation here. And I think, you know, that that's, that's why you have to have, you know, Chubb, you know, Mayfield, Denzel Ward, Garrett. Uh, Miles Garrett. These are guys that are supposed to be here and supposed to be like lifetime. They may not finish their careers here. And you build but, but when they hang it up around them. Yeah. Everybody else comes around them. Right. And, and if we're winning, you'll get those pieces and those parts, you know, that will want to be here. I mean, think about it, bro. We talked about this in many of our shows. Pittsburgh has had crew, uh, a crew. Pittsburgh has had a core group of guys. The Ravens have had a core group of guys all through their Super Bowl runs, whatever, whether they won the Super Bowl or not. They all had core group of guys that had them Super Bowl favorites damn near every year or Super Bowl contenders damn near every year. Yeah, and, though, and their core guys were like on defense. Most of them, you, know, you had, you know, Ed Reed, every, even yeah. though he was a Raven, still one of my favorite players. You know, I respect greatness at the end of the day. I don't care if you yeah, play for the end of the day. Absolutely. At the end of the day, I respect greatness. Ed Reed was always around the ball. I remember one of my friends I grew up with. Like, man, I need to draft Ed Reed after Miami. I was like, man, whatever. And, you know, he was spot on. Ended up being one of the, probably, you could make an argument, the greatest safety in the history of football. Uh, he could uh, even right. be, if he played not, differently, he wasn't, you know, a killer like Ronnie Lott and those guys. But he was always around the freaking football. He ball. was a ball. So you got to have, you got to have one or two of those on the field at, at any given time. Right. And and he wasn't just a guy that was wildly going after the ball. His instincts were from from the football that I've seen, especially in the in the newer uh era of football. It's only like one other guy that I can think of, and, and that was Troy Palomalu, who instinctively yeah, always were in the play. Yeah, just instinctively was there. Like you just look around and there go that dude. They go 43 with that stupid hair, you know, all over the damn place for no reason. When he was healthy, Pittsburgh was a problem when he was healthy. But the problem was he played so reckless at times, he couldn't stay healthy for them. That's a problem for them. It wasn't a problem for me. I don't give a damn if he yeah. played. So he said he'll be in the Hall of Fame. Oh no, he's he, he listen, I'll be honest with you. He should make the Hall of Fame. There's no way that Troy Palomalu shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. I'm just right. and I know I'm not a Pittsburgh fan. However, as you as you eloquently stated, you can't you can't ignore greatness. You can't downplay greatness. You cannot like a guy. You cannot like a guy for something he did. You cannot like a guy because he played on the team that you hated. But at the end of the day, you have to recognize the greatness. I grew up as a Laker fan. I hated Larry Bird. Whenever anybody tells me that Larry Bird was a slow white boy, X, Y, Z, man, what? What? At all. At all. They Larry Bird know. was one of the, the craftiest, uh, had one of the best killer instincts. Matter of fact, he goes into an arena 
I want to say it was in Atlanta, and asked them, what's the most points I was ever scored in this arena? And they told him 60. And he went out there and hit 61. Just, just doing, 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 doing the three-point contest. He said, which one of y'all coming in second? He didn't even take off his warm-up and lit everybody up. And also, he didn't play well in that round before that. No. He, he got crappy in the round prior to the championship round and just casually came out and lit everybody's ass on fire. So for somebody to tell me, like when I hear people say, oh, the best shooter I've ever seen is Steph Curry. That's the best shooter you ever saw. I, I don't I don't believe that. I've seen guys shoot just as well, but the three-pointer wasn't the same. But I digress. Oh, I don't want to get off on a whole nother um, Oh, now, no. I think I think we we kind of grew up in like the perfect era because we get to see all of it. Yeah, not all of. It. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say I pretend we got like to I see a lot of it. We got. But we grew up, you know, when we got to see the the late '70s, '80s into the modern era. So I think we have a very good grasp on comparing the eras, and we're fair. You know, and I'm not going to just be the old head and just dog all the new guys out exactly. and, and vice versa. Um, now, because one one thing now that I'm coming to realize watching more NBA now, the ball handling, everybody got handles almost. Mm-hmm. And maybe some of the guys in the old era, you know, like Kevin Garnett said, like it might have been a little too saucy for guys back in the day, in a way. But... Well, here, here's oh, what I'll say about on the flip side. But on the flip side, though, could the guys from this era handle the physicality that was going on? And that's it. That's it. You know, that's it. That's it. Can you, can you, uh, whoever you are, I don't care, Kyrie, uh, Ron Strickland, like these guys are some of the savage, Isaiah, these guys are some of the savviest cats I've ever seen handling the rock. Like just and, and finishers, like I used to say this back in the day. I didn't even know who I uh, who Kyrie was. I used to say this back in the day. It's a this dude, Ron Strickland, can get to the rack whenever he feels like it. You he know, Ron Strickland went to an All Star game. Never, I couldn't believe that when I when I saw that. You would think he would have been a sub or fiddling or something at some but, point. In time. Listen, man, people don't understand. He had a. Another underrated guy. Ron Strickland was one of the better ball handlers that's ever played. Kenny Anderson, another one of the best ball handlers that ever played the game. Like, ever. And K.A. could finish, too. Yeah. You know, Kenny was another guy that could just get to. But to me, that all stemmed from Isaiah. Isaiah was that guy. He can give you 48. He can give you 45. He can give you 50. He could also give you 15. And 12 assists. Like Isaiah could do whatever he wanted. And that's with a hand in his back. And that's with somebody trying to push him and pull him and slap his wrist and they ain't call that. And there was no flagrant ones and two. Right. And there was no extra free throw and an extra possession and all that stuff. Right. That tilts and changes games. And if any, I'm just being honest, it doesn't matter about the player team. But when you have that, imagine the number of games that some teams would have won had they had that advantage. But stuff is different now. I'm not 
you know, trying to pull teeth here. I'm just being honest. The eras changed how the games are, are being viewed. And I'm just being honest. So when people ask me who is the greatest, I feel like it's this person. But the truth is, it's going to be the greatest in every era, no matter what, because the eras change. So we're going to always have this argument. In 15 years, it's going to be people mad that somebody is thinking LeBron ain't the greatest that ever played because yeah. you tell some, some new guy he's the greatest ever. Am I lying? We've already yeah, seen right. We see it now with LeBron versus MJ. And y'all act like y'all forgot about Kobe. But I digress. So. <laughs> yeah, we got all on a tangent. Anything else, anything else we need to address about Brown's free agency at all? No, I think, I think free agent-wise, we've covered everything. I think what the Browns have done, this is a perfect segue, by the way. What the Browns have done in free agency has kind of made what they do in the draft, which is what we're getting ready to talk about next, so much easier. Like, there's almost – I'm not going to say these words. I'm not, I was almost about to say there's no pressure. But I'm not going to say those words. I just think it takes some of the pressure off of them in the draft because they address so many things so many apparent things right. in free agency. Now we hit the draft. We, we, for the first time in a while, excuse me, for the first time in a while, we have a late first round draft pick and that's it. We're so used to having somewhere between one and nine or one and 12 Right. And then possibly having a, a 22nd pick too. And, and and still screwing it up, by the way. <laughs> we're we're no used doubt. to having three second round picks and getting uh uh the likes of uh Muhammad uh Masakwai and <laughs> you know it and and, and, and Brian Robisky. In, in the, the second, second round. round. You know what I mean? Like, we're used to that kind of bull crap uh, here in Cleveland. However, this year, we got a late, you know, we're, we we draft 26, which is, Sean and I have talked about, uh, you know, going to hang out. Well, we already know we can't go hang out at the actual draft because you got to have uh, the vaccine to get in, and I didn't have it. And I don't think Sean has had it. So we may be able to walk around and cough on some people as they going inside. But <laughs> well, plus, man, I, I gotta I gotta work that day anyway. Now That's I'll be I'm off. Doing. I'll be off before the draft starts, but after working in 12 hour shifts, I don't think I'll be doing too much walking around of nowhere because my legs are jelly by the time I get off work. But yeah, that's another story for today. But I'll um um, you know what is interesting which direction the Browns can go. I just start looking at mock drafts. Um, I hadn't really paid attention to anything. Really, the way the college season was kind of ragtag, plus there was no combine. 
Right. And some other stuff. I kind of was like, you know, didn't really pay much attention. So now I started looking at some of the mock drafts. Um, one I saw has us taking a defensive tackle from uh, Alabama, Christian Barmore. One had us taking a linebacker from Notre Dame, the name I can't pronounce, but I've seen him play. He looks good, but Notre Dame linebackers have a habit of getting to the NFL and uh, not playing well. Speaking of that, real quick, you know that Manti Teo also in the league? I had no idea. Uh, I didn't know. I saw, he's with the Saints. When I saw the, they were in the playoffs, I was like, Manti, I was like, seriously? But anyway, I didn't know he was still in the league. I, I, knew I had he, no idea. I mean, I knew he had a, a, a solid little career or whatever, but I didn't know he was still playing now. Right. Um, but, um, you know, so the one guy that I have my eye on, I know the Browns have absolutely no chance of getting him, was Michael Parsons, linebacker from Penn State, um, who's an absolute monster. Now, Penn State players do have a habit of getting to the NFL and not doing anything either. But, you know, um, you know, his tape speaks for himself. Um, who else was I looking at? Um, as far as corners, got this guy Farley from uh, Christian Farley from Virginia Tech. Looks really good. Um, I don't know if he'll fall to the Browns either. So it's going to be interesting to see. Um, you know, what happens, who actually falls to us in that position and which way the Browns want to go. What do you think? Which way do you think that we're going to go on the draft? I'm not 100% sure. I mean, we we still have a lot of uh, growth, should I say. I won't say we got a lot of holes to fill because for the first time in a long time, we don't no. have a lot of holes to fill, but we do have some long-term holes to fill, if you want to, you know, say it that way. I think, first of all, I think that the front office wants to build a young core. And I think they want guys that are high IQ and make certain plays a certain kind of way. So some of these guys make a, a, a crap ton of sense. Uh, like the kid from Notre Dame. He's, this kid is, uh, his name is Jeremiah Owosu Kamora. Kamora, yeah. Kamora, Owosu. They call him JOK for short. Yeah, 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 that's what we do, uh, JOK. So this kid is, uh, comes out highly touted. He comes out, you know, all American, a unanimous, a unanimously voted all American, um, a Buckets Award winner, which is the award for those who don't know, uh, the award for uh, the best linebacker in the country, uh, college-wise, that is. And he's done all of those. He's hit all of those markers. I watched some tape, and I think, like you just said about uh, the kids you mentioned, I think the tape speaks for itself. This dude, he's a ball hawk. He's a guy that's always around the ball. I've spoken loudly about the Browns needing a guy that's always just there. Now, 
because I think this guy is this type of guy, I'm not sure he's going to be there at 26. That's what I'm saying. Like those guys that I mentioned, for the most part, I don't think they're going to be there. There's a defensive end for Michigan that's pretty good, Quiddy Pay. Um, I don't think he he may, you know, but I mean, that's what I'm thinking. Like if, if the guys the Browns want aren't there, where they draft a linebacker just to be drafting a linebacker, where they go another position. You know what I'm saying? That because because there are things the Browns have to consider. Think about this: there are some guys that the Browns aren't going to be able to resign in certain positions. Maybe a Joe Batonio at some point. Um, maybe Wyatt Teller. You know. So do you think about that? And do you go like an offensive line um, at that point? Thinking about because we're solid at so many positions now. Um, do you go receiver? In anticipation of one of your your main guys being out of here next year, you know. So I mean, this uh, you know, I think the Browns are in a position where to look at these mock drafts. I should look at another one, and they got us picking a linebacker out of Georgia. So I think with the, the signals the Browns are giving off right now, they're not giving off any type of consensus of who they want or what direction right they're going to go in. You know, necessarily so. I think they may, of course, they're going to have guys that they target where they think going to fall to them. But I'm thinking, wondering, okay, if these three or four guys that we have targeted are off the board, you know, do we just go a whole different direction? You know, and just draft the best guy, the best athlete available at the time. And and that could could end up being uh, the situation, especially if uh, they can't move that pick in in terms of a draft. I mean, excuse me. In terms of a trade, um, because you know if they don't, if, if let's say they they decide on one guy, and that guy goes off the board, maybe they utilize that pick at trade bait to try to you know yeah draw other people in and and, and make another type of move with a player involved, uh, excuse me, et cetera, et cetera, because just for clarity. We have uh, the first, the first, our first pick in the in the draft is first round, pick number twenty six. Then we have uh, the second round. I think it's uh, fifty nine. And then we have two third round picks and two fourth round picks. So we actually have draft equity, um, and solid equity because a lot of players go for third and fourth round picks. A lot mm-hmm. of you know, solid players go for uh, second, excuse me, third and fourth round picks. So if things don't go the Browns way, we definitely have the ability to move uh, in a different uh, momentum. However, you know, I think that we still uh, have the ability to build um, depth for our team. So let's. I think that we definitely need linebackers and cornerbacks. So a lot of the stuff that I was looking at and, and looking through, you know, while of course you're gonna always see us or see the Browns attached to probably a linebacker or attached to a defensive end, which right. none of that is a bad thing because I think we're in such a decent spot. You could take a chance on some of these guys. I'm just not sure if you want to take a chance on some of these guys that in the first round. But 
between uh, JOK and this kid from uh, Northwestern, this cornerback, uh, Greg Newsom the second. He's a six foot okay. uh, cornerback who's solid. He's, he's a four, he runs four three eight, and he's started twenty one games. He got twenty five. Uh, past yeah, I'm, I'm I'm familiar with the kid, and he did play. He played great at uh at Northwestern. So I mean, you can add this kid to your young core and just bring him along because his four year deal and uh, Hill's four year deal will end at the exact same time. And as a matter of fact, Brady Williams' rookie deal will end before either one of those. I think it's only a three-year deal. Or is right. it four? I had to look at it. Uh, I think it's four, but I don't know I about the second be. round. But I think but it's he's a, I'm saying I'm saying his third year, he's already fulfilled one year of that country. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Right. So, you know, if this guy pans out, again, these are things that you were just speaking on, filling other holes of guys that's gonna be gone or guys that won't be a part of the team, et cetera, et cetera. So you might need to draft for a longevity need. And I think that's why I think the Browns are, they're just in a, this ain't a spot that we're used to, bro. No. So damn weird. This is a spot that I'm expecting other cats to be in, not us. Because we haven't (laughs) been. Right. I don't even know how to appreciate this right now. I don't either. Because normally, you know, draft money is a holiday in Cleveland because we're in the top five, top ten. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's become an event where you kind of have like draft parties and stuff like that. Um, people still may do it, but it may not be the same. One thing, the Browns ain't gonna pick to like midnight anyway. Yeah, at this point, so you know, and, it, and it's probably gonna be a guy that most people never heard of. You know, for the most part, so you know, it's a little bit, a little bit different this year. And by the way, I'm watching this Golden State field. Man, Steph Curry is on absolute fire right now. And then this was NBA jams. This dude would be lit. Gasoline on him. Man, he got 43 again. I think he hit something like eight threes. This dude didn't hit something like in the last three games were like 53s. Yeah. And three games, something crazy like that. Over 40 minutes. Crazy. Think about it though. Steph is Steph is a different kind of ball player, man. And he got the green light to do whatever, wherever. Right. And this is another reason why I say him, him, his ability to shoot, his ability to shoot might be some of the best you've ever seen. However, I don't think he's the best shooter I've ever seen. We just grew up with a lot of great, yeah. we grew up with a lot of great shooters, bro. I, I mean, I still see Glenn Rice, I still see Steve Smith. I still see Allen Houston. Like well, I think I think the difference between that era and today's era was that the NBA back then uh, was more specialized. No, for sure. So, so no. you had guys that were just known. Yeah, like you were. Your job was to, to shoot. Like Jeff Hornacek, your job is to shoot. It's, a, it's an era. Ray Allen, your job yep. is to shoot. Where now? Because of AAU and these, they're pretty much 
putting out clones almost. Like it's almost like a a uh, assembly line of players where these guys are like multifaceted. You know what I'm saying? You got yes. six, eight guys that can handle the ball. Yeah. They can all shoot like okay. Yeah. They're they're not they're not they're good at a lot of things, not great at one. Oh, he had another one. My God. Yeah. Jesus. Um, so that I think that's a, a, a difference there. Cause all these guys are just like, oh, you know, look at the, the amount of threes they put up now. Coming but I mean, out of a three-one fast break, they jack up a three. It's an era so, thing, bro. And that's yeah, that's so like it. all these guys shoot like 30, 35% from the from the three-point line now. Where back in the day, you had your 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 two guys on a team that could shoot three and nobody else was gonna dare take a shot behind the three-point line unless your name was Larry Bird or you know or Danny Ainge or something like that. You know what I'm saying? But now, them cats shot but them cats shot high high 30s, low 40s all the time. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Like when I when, so when you say who's the best shooter you ever saw, a lot of the shooting to me comes from just the purity of your shot. When I when I try to combine the errors, not so much how many shots you shot or where you right. shot it. My thing is the purity of your shot at that point and the accuracy of your shot, just off pure flat out accuracy. And the other part of that for me is the importance of that shot in the game. Steph, for this particular game, Steph is always going to be hot because of how the game is played right now. He shoots that high at this juncture of this era of the game where you can shoot. When you, when you have 70 shots you took in a game for a team, and 40 of them were three-pointers. Okay, now they just put up a stat. I'm, I'm going to tell you this stat and let me know what you think. Um, the most games in history where you hit 10 or more threes, right? Steph got 21. Again, closest it's, like got, it's errors. Closest guy, the closest guy after that got five. It's errors, though, bro. Yeah. I, I mean, because, again, you just not shoot back in the day. Think about this. If you had a three-point shot in the 70s, you would have more three-point shots in the 80s. You would have more three-point yeah. shots in the 90s. But they didn't even make the three-point shot a shot until late 70s, early 80s. I'm like, The ABA, ABA did it first. And, and then in the NBA, probably like in 82 or 83. Yeah. yeah. Something so like that. It was different. Now, if you make a four-point shot, guess what? You're going to see a dude in 20 years shoot the most four-pointers that's ever happened. They're probably going to do that with the way Lillard and them try to shoot. Everybody just jack up almost half-court threes. And they I ain't mad at For the people who might think I sound like a bitter old guy, I'm just a guy that understands that it's an era change. So when yeah. people ask me who's the greatest, y'all going to feel whoever in this era that is the greatest is the greatest because that's the last thing you've seen. The yeah, like speaking of that, like in the NFL now that you're playing 17 games, um, the stats are going to be all skewed now. But the stats, the stats are skewed at 16. Yeah, Jim Brown, exactly. the most games Jim Brown ever played was 14 games. Yeah. 
played Imagine, 12, imagine that he played 16 games every year of his career. Right. Y'all still be chasing his damn numbers. But yeah. again, I digress. So let's let's get in real quick, uh, bro, before we get the hell off here. I'm gonna switch hats. So I think we're done with the Browns. We done with the Browns? Yeah, yeah. All right. Until until we'll we'll we'll, we'll bring it back up on our we next show. Uh by the way, go Browns. It's always go brown time. It ain't never not go brown time for me. Right. Uh let's chat. Uh by the way, I had to wear this shirt here. Because according to the new standard at the at the stadium, I may not get in with this damn shirt at Jacobs Field. Uh, so I have to wear it here because they don't want no headdresses. They don't want none of that stuff. So they might stop me from my damn shirt. <laughs> and I want y'all to see this. My my shirt is a is a headdress on a letter C. But they don't want people wearing headdresses. So hey, hey, listen, I gotta wear it on my I'm gonna wear it on my show. It's one of my favorites. You know what else too? Quietly, um, Dolan came out, and Dolan is the owner of the Indians. I can't remember which Dolan. There's a bunch of Dolans. Uh, Larry. One, 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 yeah, well, well, one owns the Knicks, and one owns the Indians. Um, They're both quietly, quietly. He said that the Indians are delaying the name change. Of course, that they may not. That it may not be a name change until 2022. And I was like, that's interesting. Um, is he playing the long game and people start forgetting about it, putting it off, yep. putting it off, and then it goes away? Or is he seriously, you know, really trying to, to, to make the best choice possible in the name change as far as marketing is concerned? Because now evidently the Redskins, where the Washington football team just said the hell with it, we're just not going to get a logo. Now, part of that may be – um the fact that they're trying to force Dan Snyder out and maybe Dan Snyder is like, look, we're not doing anything until we, you know, solidify, you know, get all this stuff straightened out before we go. He just bought, he just bought out of the cats, man. Yeah. He did. Right. He did that to stop, I guess, cause they're trying to force yeah. him out. Yeah. So maybe he was waiting, you know, before I go, you know, do all that legal stuff. Let me take care of that. Make sure that I'm secure before we pick a name. Because yeah. I can't see them just being called the Washington whatever's, you know, for the, the rest of the Listen, you're going to call me crazy. You are going to call me crazy. I don't see nothing wrong with the Washington football team. It's terrible. This is not soccer. <laughs> this is not soccer. None of the names make sense. It's always – uh, What did I say, Cleveland? What did I say, America? Sean was going to call me crazy. He didn't call me crazy, but I know what he said by avoiding calling me crazy. He's calling me crazy. The Washington I, I football team is terrible. The football, that's WFT, man. We, Just, live, we live in a world of acronyms and stuff like that. WFT. Just pick a name that makes sense because eventually the city, get, you know, people hate change. It's like they change the Indian's name. Eventually, we'll get used to it. You know, over time. But you know, no, people, listen, it's so much. Got it's used so to the much. Wizards. Although the Wizards are horrible name change. You went from the Bullets. No, that, was, that, that was the worst name change. Listen, like the Wizards. Y'all made it the softest name. Not that they were winning much anyway, but y'all no, went from the Bullets, which was very 
uh, apropos, by the way. I don't know if anybody knows anything about uh, <laughs> DC back in the late 80s, early 90s. <laughs> the bullets were very apropos. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, then you go from that to like these little like Orco soft wizard joints. <laughs> Did not say Orco. <laughs> With the worst logo ever. I still don't know what that logo was. Like, what the hell? Like, man, what come on, man. You gotta listen, man. And I and I'm a, I'm a fan. I've been a fan for a long time. Um, I had like 37. Uh, anybody who listens to this show knows I did. I had like 57 Chief Wahoo hats of all different colors. I had every Chief Wahoo hat you could think of. Give me a, 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 a color combination, I'll guarantee you I had that hat. When I would come home, I would literally go to any store that sold Indians hats. And then when I say when I came home, I was in the Air Force, for those of you who don't know. So when I came home, I was in Anchorage, Alaska, by the way. So we didn't have many Cleveland anythings. So I would come home and just load up on Cleveland stuff and then go back to Alaska and then when I would come back, catch would be like, God dang, man. This is why they used to call me the Cleveland ambassador. They used to be like, I've never seen anybody be this proud to be from a spot like Cleveland. <laughs> I mean, and, and, Cleveland, and, and the Chief Wahoo was one of the most, in the top three um, most popular logos and, and hats as far as in sales and stuff like it that. It was, man. Like, the, the Chief Wahoo was incredible. Now, I'll be honest with you, I like the block C. I also like the tomahawk C. Uh, you know, I have a tomahawk C hat, and I, I'm, I'm not gonna get up to go get it. But Sean knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, and the, the, the block tomahawk. C hats actually gotten pretty popular around the country too. I see a lot I of cats from Cleveland right I just can't, Look, you just can't wear it in in, uh, in, in L.A. <laughs> it just means something different, <laughs> right? Totally well, here's my thing, man. I used to be um not that I was against getting rid of Chief Wahoo, but I was like, man, I like the logo. But now, because I'm older, it's like, all right, at the end of the day, it's a freaking baseball team. So out of all the things that's important in the world, what's going on, the name of our baseball team is the least one of the least important even with the browns as much as i love my browns if somehow the browns name was offensive and hurting somebody in some type of way and they had to change it i would hate it but in perspective it's like we wanted to you know it's not many professional baseball teams in the world it's not many professional football teams and we're lucky enough to have one out of 32 that have one you know what I'm saying? So as much as I hate the Indians having to change their name, if they ever do it, at the end of the day, it's like, okay, what's what's really important? Now, you got some people in the city that, well, at least for the time being, until they get over it, they're not going to support the Indians because they're changing. I heard guys on the radio calling in talking about that. Well, the, that's not my team and tradition and all this type of stuff. I was like, at the end of the day, it's not. It's really not that serious. It's a freaking sports team. First, first of all, it was never cared what you call it. It was never that your team, sir. Yeah. Second of all, like cats got to get. Listen, man. Let's let's 
let me pull back a little bit. And I'm only saying this because I know guys that say this. My wife graduated from um, Villa Angela St. Joseph High School. She was actually the first class that ever, that they merged the two schools. There was a Villa Angela and there was a St. Joseph High School. They merged the high schools. My wife was the first sophomore class, or excuse me, ninth grade freshman class that they merged. And she graduated, she was the first merged co-ed class of those, right, of those schools. There's a lot of old school guys that went to St. Joseph that don't recognize that as their high school because so they won't donate money they won't show up at alumni games because that's not my school that's not my school my school would have never done blah 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 no your school did because your school sir was actually the problem so the diocese just decided to connect the two schools because the girls school was painful they ain't need that. The dude's school didn't, but the dudes are the ones with the problem. <laughs> I've never heard a lady say that. But all these dudes have problems. Like when you when you talk about a name change, you talk about a, a combination of stuff, everybody gonna always change always causes an issue. Mm-hmm. Change always causes an issue. When they started integrating schools, what happened? There was a problem when when you start integrating uh, uh, communities, there's a problem. When you get more than four black people on White Street, there's a problem. We all have to learn how to change. We all have to learn how to Man, change. Man, look, there's only two things guaranteed in life, and that's death and change, period. Um, and that's the way that they're moving right now. It means like as long as it makes sense, some stuff now, some stuff doesn't make any sense. They'd be going too far with certain stuff being too uh, politically so correct and stuff like that. But we're, you I'm know, Sean and I are are change advocates in the in the sense of that, like the cancel culture, where you want to cancel everything that happens, and, and we spoke about that in one of our last shows. We're yeah, not, because we're not if, if you look if you look hard enough. And do enough, you can find racism in everything. And I mean, especially in this country, and every if you look hard enough, you can find yes. racism in every That's single, fair. every single That's thing. Fair. And because it's yeah. already set up that way, but it, it, it's it's all good. Yeah. So so you can't go around changing. You know, something with like 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 changing, like taking Angel Mama off the pancake box. And then now there was no time where I walked in the grocery store and walked past. An answer mama pancake box and felt the chains of slavery and whips on my back and it hurt my feelings. And anybody that, that says otherwise is lying. You know what I'm saying? People, people like to, you know, fake care and talk about they have all this pain, like and all this stuff with stuff like that. Nobody cared that an answer mom was on a damn pancake box. Those are some damn good pancakes. So the fact they took, I mean, so the fact that they took her off the box is okay. Stuff that big of a deal, they didn't have to take her off the box. So that wasn't going, that's not going to change. Stuff like that doesn't change anything. Hey, uh, y'all and that's, <laughs> and that's what I mean by going too far. People's like, oh, 
like no time did I see that pant or, or Uncle Ben's rice that I walked past that 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 box in the bad. store and all of I a sudden because of the Uncle Ben I fell to my knees because I felt the last hundred lashes on my back Dude. from that from, from a damn box of rice. America, you know what I'm saying? But while I understand what Sean is saying, that's <laughs> right. You don't you don't feel it that way, but I don't know if he's articulate. Anyhow, anyhow, let's move on to Cleveland Indians baseball team. <laughs> Ridiculous with that stuff sometimes, man. No, I don't. I don't. Like, I feel, oh, I feel so much. There's no way I could disagree with you, dog. That hey, you know, box caused you know me so me. much pain. I felt the blood of my ancestors dripping. As <laughs> no, it was Okay, let me look. That was syrup. <laughs> <laughs> that was syrup. You good? You know. But anyway, I digress. But let's all digress, please, and thank you. So. We're gonna speak on the Indians a little bit. Yeah, we understand. We we're only about what twelve to fifteen games into the season at this point. Um, but we, I think we just want to talk about a few uh, roster issues or or our managerial issues. If you Jake Bowers, uh, <laughs> Jake Bowers. Uh, <laughs> so Sean. And, who, and who's the other guy? Who's who that's in that field? What's the name? Gollum? Who was that? You know what I'm talking about? Who was that? Wait, hold up. Hold up. <laughs> this dude is killing me right now. So Jake Bowers is an issue. Let's let's can we go there? Can we start there? Yeah. Jake Bowers is clearly. Can he? I don't know that he can connect with the ball. I also don't know. That he can feel uh, as well. Uh, who's the other guy you said? Gollum. What's the Brandon Gollum? I don't know. I never even heard of this guy. He showed up in center field one day. Gollum. All I know is he ain't got one hit all season. And yes, I said he ain't got. And here's and here's my problem with the Indians, and it's been a problem that I've always had. Uh, I shouldn't say always had. But I've, I've had similar problems over the last, say, 15 to 20 years. We refuse to go get and keep or keep people that are offensively inclined. Right. We, we just... Consistently like, offensively inclined. Consistently. And, that, and that's probably a better, a better way to put it. I think Sean put it more... Uh, Definitely better than I could have put it, or better than I did put it. We need people who are consistently, you know, hitting the ball on a regular basis. Like you can't get these guys out. And Sean and I are a little bit spoiled. Now we did grow up in the '80s where we had some awful. Oh, we saw a lot of bad baseball. <clears throat> However, a lot of we spent about 12 years from 
two-ish all the way to about 2004, where the Indians were one of the most really, the last, what, 20 years, the Indians have been the most consistent team in, in the city. One of them. At all yeah, yeah, sports yeah. here? In the, yeah, yeah. yeah, in this city? Yeah, absolutely. Like, they've always found a way. But the problem with the team, if you look at the specifics of the team, there's always been this one thing. So either they've been pitcher heavy or they've been offensive heavy with no pitcher. Like right. it was one or the other. It's, it, there hasn't been a, a bunch of balance. And when we've had some balance, you've seen us uh, like in 2016. Yeah, pretty much the last 15 years, but overall we've just been pitching heavy. But overall, we've been very pitcher heavy. And, you know, we now back in, back in those days, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, we were seeing one nothing games that we were losing because we couldn't yeah. find anybody to hit the ball. Right. We had pitchers out the wazoo that were winning. We had three or four pitchers win a Cy Young and just get go to other teams. Now we still have those same. Uh, issues where we got pitchers that are Cy Young award winners and they're going to other teams and we still can't find guys to consistently hit. Right. Defense wins championships, but let me tell you something. Unless you are Tom Glavin and John Smoltz and Greg Maddox and you got a six-foot window off of the plate, having you know all this pitching, while it's not bad, because you got to have it. You need it to be in that sort of a uniform in order for it to work for you. Them dudes only won one championship. And I don't think they won shit with Greg Maddox when he was on that. Uh, or was he, was Greg Maddox on their team in 95? I don't think he yeah, was. Yeah, he was there. Yeah, that was whole thing aside, he was there. Okay. Yeah. That was his first year there. Okay. Uh, but they didn't win nothing else after that because. No. I f they only won that one championship. Now, I'll take that one championship. However, we're not that team right now where you got those two of those three guys. We don't have Cliff Lee. We don't have CC. We don't have, you know, uh, Bowers. We don't have those guys that were all on one team and just throwing darts one after the other after the other. I think we got some guys coming up that are just as good. Yeah. The Indians, you know, the, the Indians invest in their farm team now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. Listen, I understand. But uh, we invest offensively in our farm team because yeah. our farm team used to get guys and field guys like Sandy Alomar. We Manny. used to get guys and, and field guys Albert Bell. like Albert Bell. We used to get guys and field guys like uh, uh, Carlos Baerga. These are guys that are no less than 280 hitters. Not one of the guys I just mentioned are less than 280 hitters. Not one. Yeah, you know, here's here, here's my my gripe right now. Terry Francona is loyal to a fault to, to certain guys. To a uh, fault, he also wants to do. He's such a good guy, and he wants to do guys a solid. Number one, 
Jake Bowers didn't have any minor league options left. And what that means is that if the because the, the Indians pretty much I think traded a first round pick or something like that, or he was a first round pick. They gave up a lot to get Jake Bowers for whatever reason from Tampa. So when you're out of options, but Jake ain't Trevor. I'll tell you that. No. So 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 when you're when you're out of options in the minor, what that means is. If a guy's not performing the way you want him to, you can send him down to the minor leagues to get some, to get some, we can play every day, kind of get better than bring him back up, right? It gets to a certain point in time in their career, you can't do that anymore. So once you send him off the roster, he then goes through where he becomes a free agent. Anybody can go and pick him up. Yeah. Because the Indians invested so much into Bowers, he didn't have any options left. Now there's a kid, Bobby Bradley, who played lights out um, during spring training. He's a power hitter. He actually got to give us some power and play first base. But because Jake Bowers didn't have any minor league options left, it was like, well, let's give Bowers a shot, you know, in the season, see what he does. Um, and if it doesn't work out, maybe we can bring up Bobby Bradley later. My thing is, Jake Bowers, you stink. Who cares if you don't have any minor league options left? We don't want you anyway. Get off my baseball team. Let the young guy play, and let's see what he can do. Um, Jake Bowers does not offer anything to the lineup right now. Matter of fact, the Indians have the, I think, the second lowest batting average in the league as a team. You're batting like 198 under 200. That's crazy. Uh, my other gripe is we can't seem to find decent outfielders that can play every day. They're doing what we call a, pl a platoon system where you're pretty much rotating guys in and out. Now, you've got young guys like Oscar Mercado. I know he wasn't playing well, but let these young guys play every day. Let them get into a rhythm and see what they can do instead of experimenting and sending different guys out in the outfit. They can't if you're not playing every day, it's hard to get a rhythm. Now, somehow the Indians stay afloat because the pitching has been locked out. Beavers is, is Beaver. Aaron Savali is pitching great. Plesak had a rough outing one, but he's still um Plesak is, is still solid. I mean he had one bad outing yeah. but the other two were decent. And your bullpen is great. Now, I'm afraid now what Francona is doing right now, he's going to wear those guys out before the season's over with. Because he don't have no offense. Right, because he's pitching uh, Karen Check and Klasse like every night. Oh, we got yeah. we have a, we have a lot of guys in the bullpen, uh, Francona. You ain't got to run those guys out there every night. It's that loyalty but, thing. Yeah. So, those are my, so, so my gripes aren't with the wins and losses right now, just with no roster move. It's like let these young guys. We need power in the lineup. Bring up Bobby Bradley. Screw Jake. But he stinks. You worry about hurting his feelings because he don't have any options. So what? We trying to win a World Series right now. Listen, yeah, it ain't about wins and losses. Because to be honest with you, uh, if if it were about wins and losses, we would actually be excited in this particular moment. Yeah. We're only about a game, game and a half out of first place. But it's too early to even be thinking about that. And, and listen, and that's why I said yeah. earlier, I don't, I don't, this isn't about wins and losses. This isn't. This is about the actual core of the team going 
Uh, so we're 15 games in. So going the next uh, 145 games or so. Right. And here, and he, he, right. Here's my last, my last gripe. Indians pitching, no, Indians hitting coach, right? Somebody by the name of Ty Van Berkleyo, whoever he is. He's been with the Indians since 2013. Now, since 2013, but why don't I've seen some of the most atrocious offensive baseball in my life while this guy has been a hitting coach. Once again, Francona being loyal to his guy. As a matter of fact, he never played. I don't think this dude really played. He played for the Colorado Rockies a little bit. This dude has had five hits in his major league career. Five. No, wait, wait. No, hold up. What? Five. Five hits? Yes, I'm looking at it. It says major league stats. Batting average 132, five hits, one home run. I don't buy it. I'm not, I'm not it's, it's, it's on the Indians' website. Man, are you kidding so me? What? <laughs> so, what, so what qualifies him to teach anybody how to hit a baseball at all? You know what I'm saying? This is Listen, what I'm talking I about. Almost, I almost could have had five hits in, in the uh, Major League Baseball if I'd have got five at bats. Right. I mean, he on, spent. There's, there's no way for this dude to be. You can't be. And he's been a damn hitting coach for the last eight years. Yep. Man, get, come on, bro. He spent most of his career in a Japanese baseball league. Well, how did he do over there? I don't know. I can't pull up his stats from there. I mean, I'm hoping but, that these dudes over there uh, knocking him out the box. I mean, you know, you don't have to to be a hitting coach. You don't have to be uh, Pete Rose. You know, a right. guy that always you know make some of these guys are different. A guy like Pete Rose, a guy, uh, a guy like uh, Beirut. You know, when you just excuse me, make contact all the time. You have to learn how to make contact. Like you have to literally, and I'm saying this as a guy that played baseball. I was awful, to be honest, when I played baseball. I got better at baseball when I got grown. Like when I was in the Air Force and I would go to, we played softball, but I would go to batting cages. I didn't okay. know how to you know, because when we played in, again, Sean and I grew up together, for those of you that don't know. When we played on the street, like we played any bounce, we had an actual baseball diamond and all that stuff. But we're, ain't nobody throwing to you real hard or real tough. Right. We, we just throw on the tennis ball. And then when you make contact, because you made decent contact, you knock this thing almost in the woods or whatever, right? Well, in real life, that's not necessarily how it happens. Yeah, you do make the theory is there where you make solid contact and it carries the way it needs to carry, but there's more to the technique about it. And nobody ever really taught me how to hit, or nobody ever really taught me how to think through a hit. Like how my how oh you hold your you dragging your elbow or you think putting your hips through. That's like the technical part of the game. 
And you need to know that if you're going to be a hitting coach. Exactly. Like and five you major league hits as a five. hitting coach. But my See, man, listen, I never played in the in the major leagues at all, and this dude got five more hits than me. I'm going to the major leagues next week. I'm gonna have right. I'm gonna have five hits. And and that's the problem. So I'm I'm really ready for the Indians. As much respect and love I have for Terry Francona, because I don't want to sound like I'm a Francona hater. I just hate some of the things that he does. You know what it is, bro? They comfortable, bro. They comfortable. Yeah, because somehow, despite having that lack of offense, Francona always manages to cobble together a season and get the Indians to the damn playoff. Which I have no idea how he does it, but he he because does. He's good. But imagine what he would do if he had some guys that could actually pull the shit off. Look at look like that. He wasn't like that in well, I don't know if he was no. like that. Here's the difference. Here's he the just difference. had a lineup. He had guys that could pull it off, bro. He had guys, and I mean pull it off in terms of winning a, a World Series. That's why right. he got two championships. He got two championships because the guys that he had that he was doing similar things with. In Boston, and and what is it? Three years? I think they won two championships in three years. So that's what he had. Now, if he was that good or consistently doing that, he'd still be in Boston. Boston. Yeah, right. Well, you know, one of the problems he they had he had to leave after everybody found out they was in the clubhouse. uh, drinking beer, beer eating chicken, eat, eating uh, wings. You know, they was ordering shit from Wingstop while they was supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> they was ordering DoorDash from Wingstop when they was supposed to be <laughs> in the bullpen. <laughs> but you know that was just kind of fallout stuff. He honestly, he probably will still be there if it wasn't for that. But you have to you have to adapt at some point. Like man, when you become like you couldn't be Phil Jackson in Chicago and then go to Sacramento and think you could do the same thing with Buddy Hield and those guys. You know what I mean? Like that, that don't this ain't Kobe and Shaq. This is Buddy Hield and and you know and and these guys. It's, it takes a little bit more to get these guys to be what they're going to be. And everybody still has to buy in. I think everybody loves uh, Tito. I love him, but I also have my criticisms of him. I remember one of our first shows, I was going berserk about him. You remember that? I was like, man, I was going nuts. Apparently, and, and again, people who don't know, I started this show as therapy for Sean but apparently it's been therapy for me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm really ready for the Indian. Hopefully, one thing, Tio needs to get healthy. He's not healthy. You can look no, at him on, no, he's on not the dugout healthy. until he's not. He's and, not and healthy. He's not healthy. I think, Sandy, I think Sandy did a solid job last year. And I think I get it. I know, I know Tito's a tough SOB. But maybe Sandy needs to, you know. Yeah, I think I think that that would be the perfect transition 
yeah. to go from him to a, to a lifelong Indian and just let Sandy take the reins. We need some infusion, um, some new ideas, a new thought Maybe process. A voice. Yeah, different voice and and that and that and that dugout and just say thank you for you know everything that you did, Tito. But it's time time to go. So it'd be interesting to see how this season plays out. And as we go on throughout the season, we will touch on the Indians, you know, a lot more. We so, will. So listen, everybody. Oh, real quick before I, before we uh, sign off, real quick. Did you? Did anybody? I don't know if you if you guys did. You know, hit us up. Let me know. But uh, Sean, did you happen to watch the uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin documentary on Andy? No, I missed it. Listen, man, I I've always been a Steve Austin fan. Always. He actually brought me back to the WWE. Him and, okay. and the Rock. Him and the Rock brought me back. It wasn't. I know that everybody always goes into the Attitude Era and all that stuff. I couldn't care less about Shawn Michaels or Hunter and those guys. I, I didn't like none of those dudes. I came back for Steve Austin and The Rock. That was it. Those dudes were the draws that brought me uh, back. So to watch, because I don't remember him in WCW as Stunning Steve and all that. He was, he was a, I remember he was a bum. He was, he was one of those middle And maybe that's guys. why I don't remember him. I don't remember that. I remember stuff. him being And that's why I was never a Stone Cold fan. Because at that point, because after the NWO era, I kind of stopped watching wrestling, right? But my baby sister was getting into it. So she would be watching wrestling, starting to get into it. And I saw Steve also. She was like, Stone Cold? Oh, I was like, that's stunning Steve, that bum from, uh, from WCW. He wasn't nothing special. And that's why I couldn't take it. I didn't take it seriously. Now, some of the antics that he was doing, you know, I kind of enjoyed. Like when he uh, did a Stone Cold Stunner on, on, on Donald Trump and stuff like that, that was pretty funny. You know, I like the rock of the people's eyebrow and all of that. The people's, the people's, he was into the it, but, I, but I didn't get into it, into it, you know what I'm saying? Because I had, like I said, after the NWO era, I kind of, you know, NWO, just gave up on wrestling after that. And, and let me give you a little bit of background real quick. But I'm going to watch so, the documentary, though. If you say it's good, I'm going to go ahead and check it out. Yeah, no, it was it was dope. It was dope. I just, I wasn't in wrestling at all anymore. I had gotten out, period. And I was in the Air Force, but I wasn't doing wrestling at all. And that's, the people, people who listen, people who might watch the, uh, you know, YouTube, to say that you're not a part of wrestling from where we came from, Sean and I came from, like, bro, you're a weirdo, because right. all we did early Saturday, uh, we was in the house for for Friday night main events. If it was a main event, you wasn't gonna. Everybody had to be in the house, and we was all talking about it the next day. We used to wrestle ourselves. We used to have made up belts and all that stuff as kids. So wrestling was our thing. But I got out of it because it just kind of just kind of became whack to me. I knew it was fake. Because when we were kids, somehow we just thought it was real. <laughs> and then we knew it was fake. The storylines weren't good anymore. And we were just done with it. Or I was done with it, rather. And my brother called me one time and was like, yo, are you watching 
NWA, and at that time he had just changed to WCW. It was on TBS. He said, bro, if you're not watching, you need to turn to this and watch because there's something going on. Scott Hall and Steve Nash, uh, I mean, Scott Hall and Steve Nash, uh, Hall and Nash are yeah. like taking over the WCW. <clears throat> now, he knew I loved Nash. Big Daddy Cool Diesel. I said, what? So I turned just to watch, and I was like, oh, okay. I didn't watch again. Daddy called me again. He said, yo, are you watching this, bro? They about to reveal the next dude, man. You won't even believe who this dude is. So I'm standing, I'm watching that, man, when Hulk Hogan turned on them cats, it was like one of the craziest things I had ever seen. Now this fool out here with this black beard. Listen, man, that could have been the, the best thing that happened. Honestly, honestly. It was. It, about the attitude it, was. it was hilarious. Talk about the attitude era. The best thing that ever happened in wrestling to me was the NWO. That was that was so good. That was so good. That was so freaking good. And then it just got too much because now everybody's a part of the NWO or everybody's yeah. red and black. This person's black and white. It just got to be a little bit too much. So I kind of got out again. And then when I started working for the state, I was working in group homes and some of my clients like wrestling. And that's how I got drawn back in with Stone Cold. Stone Cold just was that guy to me. And then The Rock, I was always a Rock fan. And then this dude just, like, they both just escalated. But I hated everybody else. I never was a fan of everybody else. I I still don't, listen, I got no love for, what's the, what's the dude to do this? Uh, oh, John Cena. I, man, that could be the worst dude, worst superstar ever. And I still don't watch wrestling. Like, I don't watch it now. But these these other guys brought me in. So, listen. Anybody who likes wrestling or might have loved wrestling at one point, please go watch because it's a lot of backstory stuff. And it's a lot of wrestlers. Uh, Dude Law and all those guys are a part of this. And it's, it's, it's dope. It's dope. Go check it out. It's on A&E. Go check it out, man. I, I watched the rest of it today. I watched some of it the other day, and then I just finished it up right before we got on the air. And uh, man, that's it was dope. Okay, I'm definitely gonna check it out. All right. So, so any, anything else we need to add? No, nah, we're gonna we're gonna let this one ride, man. Uh, we've been on here for about an hour and a half, so we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and and, and let it go. I uh, appreciate your time, homie. You you know how I get down. I know you're of gonna course, be back. Always, it was good. Right, but, it's always uh, good being on the air with you, my brother. So you can um, check out our Instagram page at Two Guys in a Mic Two One Six, Facebook Two Guys in a Mic Two One Six. We're on streaming platforms: Anchor, Google Podcasts, um, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify at Two Guys in a Mic. So um, always, like we keep, you know, telling you guys that. Um, also on YouTube, two guys on the mic two one six. So interact with us. If you go on Instagram, you, you can send us a DM. If you want topics you want discussed, even if you want to be a special guest, we're not gonna let everybody on the air just all willy-nilly. But 
you know, we do have guests from time to time to have different discussions. If you want to interact with us, we'll answer the questions. Um, you got an opinion, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll rebuttal, you know, things yeah. like that. We want this to be, um, we want to immerse our fans into the show. We want you guys to be a part of the show. Um, we want this to be an interactive experience. And I think you're going to start to see us doing more things to get you guys more, more involved. We're so more and more. Right. So with that, you know, we're going to say good night. Um, thank you guys for tuning in. All right, Ron, you have a good rest of your weekend. We'll catch you on the next show, Bro. my man. Love you, man. Peace Love out. You too. Uh, we'll we'll holler back. We'll, we'll you know we'll circle circle back, and uh, see you guys next time. Thank you. Peace, Peace out.